Well, welcome this morning. Welcome to church. Welcome to New Life Church today. It's a joy, it's an honor, and a privilege to be able to stand before you and bring the word of the Lord to you today. We are, uh, last week we picked back up in a series that we started a few weeks ago, our journey through the book of Acts. So that's where we're going to hang out. Acts chapter 15 today, 15 through 17 is the goal. I just invite you to open up your word to there, and uh, also if you can follow along with us on screen as well. Um, Welcome those who are watching online, participating with us today virtually, um, and hopefully one day you'll be able to be with us today uh, in person if you've not been able to get back out in a while. We sure miss seeing your faces, and so good to see all of you wonderful folks who are with us this morning. Um, listen, we're going we're gonna to pick up in chapter 15 through 17, and, and what this does is um, we're just, one of, the, one of the goals, I believe, of when we started this series was to not only learn uh, about the early church and, and, and the way she began, but the way she flourished, but also to um, imagine ourselves uh, seeing our lives in uh, in, in, in just influenced by these real-life stories, by the power of the Holy Spirit and all of the different ways that the Holy Spirit was working from salvations to healings to signs and miracles and wonders uh, and that these things didn't pass away when these people passed away. Uh, these things continue to happen and I believe if we just have faith to believe that God wants to move like this, that he will do that. He's looking for vessels, and uh, he wants to use all of us. And I believe for his spirit to be poured out in greater ways uh, than perhaps our lives have have tasted and seen, that there are still more people to be born again, more people to come to Jesus, more people to be made whole. There are more things God wants to do supernaturally and sovereignly and and, uh, holistically through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the life of His church. And so we want to be a church that, uh, that that, that experiences this, that believes this, that that walks in this. Uh, a few weeks ago, after one of the messages on Acts, uh, we talked about one of those uh, weird miracles that happened where Peter's shadow was cast onto someone who was lying on the ground sick, and they got up and they were healed. Didn't even know his shadow could heal anybody, but God was working in such wild and weird ways that that happened. And someone came up to us uh, for prayer afterwards, and I prayed for them. And I said, I want to see this kind of stuff happen today. So I just laid my hands on them and prayed and, and, and asked the Holy Spirit to just do his work, to confirm the word of God and bring healing in their life. And uh, through a series of tests and, and some um, doctor visits and scans and all of these things, through some scares as well, this person called me and said, the doctor said they can't find anything wrong with me anymore. That they looked at the old scan and there it was, and they're looking at the new scan, and they just said, we don't know what happened. But I'm looking at it, and I just can't see the issue anymore. You're no longer sick. There's no longer a problem that could be happening in your body. And I, and I just made a simple prayer, and I just said, God, I want to see you move today like you did in Acts. And, and since then, there have been more people who have called and texted and said, hey, pray for us because so-and-so has been diagnosed with this, so-and-so has been diagnosed with this, so-and-so. And I'm like, okay, there's the floodgate. 
you stand and believe for something and it happens, the enemy wants to come and, and say, okay, let's see what, what can happen now. Let's see how big your God is now. And he's still big. He's not scared. We get scared. We do get intimidated by things. But that's why we have to have moments like this together as the church to remind us we're not alone. We're not facing these things by ourselves. We're, we're not, we're not going to be intimidated by the works of the enemy, by the works of darkness, who only wants to come to kill and steal and destroy. No, our king is Jesus. Our shepherd is Jesus, who's, who promised us in John 10, 10, I came to give you life and to give you life more abundantly. That we can have that. We can walk in that. We can experience that. We can live that. And so we can believe that. And so that's why it's so important that we are gathered together as the church in so many different ways. However we need to make it happen, we need to keep making it happen. Um, because I just heard on the news this morning, um, missionaries and their children taken captive prison in Haiti. Just, just like that, in Haiti. In Haiti. Always a wide open door for the gospel to work in Haiti. But that happened this morning, or at least it came on the news this morning. So many, so many believers around the world persecuted. Um, things working against them. And we need to remember this. It was in our Bible study Wednesday night. We need to be reminded that our trials are not special to just us. All the brotherhood and the sisterhood of the church are going through stuff. And so don't let the enemy to make, get you to think your issue is just you. No, there's all of us have things going on. Um, all of us have things going on. And that's why it's so vital that we remember who we are. We're the church. We're the church. We're the bride of Christ. We're the ones who are called to be um, light and, and, and have a radiance about us, have a glow about us. And the enemy wants to just dampen that and darken that and wear you down. Uh, we just wear you completely down to make you think, man, I, I, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have any good in me. I don't, my, my problems and my issues are, are real. They are. And the enemy wants you to think, man, that, that, that that's all you need to focus on. But God says, no, you need to focus on none but Jesus. And that's the central message of these three chapters that we're going to look at today. I've titled it, Jesus at the Center. We're going to be, it's, it covers from Antioch to Athens. I don't know how much you know about it, but we'll get into it a little bit today. From Antioch to Athens is Jesus at the center. Let me give you just a little bit of background here in chapter, about chapters 15 through 17. Antioch is the, is, was the epicenter of Christian ministry. It was, it was the uh, enterprise of, of Christian influence. Out of Antioch came 
the influence of the culture of the kingdom of God to the surrounding regions. In fact, all the way through into the fourth century, Antioch had um, had schools of theology and institutions of learning. It was just a huge epicenter of the Christian faith, dominating and uh, in a healthy way, dominating um, the culture around it. Then you have Athens on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, Athens was had it at its center, a council of people who were responsible for overseeing the spiritual atmosphere of that region. It had uh, they were it was known as that council of people was known as Areopagus. You might have heard that Areopagus. It, it was kind of like an all-in-one governing body. It was made up of of uh, intellectual overseers, kind of like um, the Board of Education, the City Council, the Ethics Committee, the Council of Foreign Relations, the leaders of religious and philosophical community, all in one, all of these people in one dictating and determining what people would believe. So you have Antioch to Athens, and this is kind of what was happening. You had one that was redeemed, Antioch, the other that needed to be redeemed, Athens. And Antioch was trying to be disrupted with dissension and division and discord on on teaching the the way of salvation. And we're going to see what that was about. Antioch was being threatened on and trying to, and and that threat was trying to create havoc and, and dissension in the midst of of the people in that center, that epicenter of Christian influence. Then Athens, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, was the center of humanism, so to speak. And it was, they were insistent on trying to remain tied to their humanistic beliefs based on Epicurus and Stoicism. What is that? Well, I'll share a brief spot on that. Epicurus, a philosopher, believed this, that we were to live for radical materialism, to live for personal pleasure, that we were created to have materialistic gain, that there is no afterlife, and so the gods had very little interest in humanity. Stoics believed that humans could reach their full potential uh, in peace by just sheer human reason and divine principle, that they can master their human passions and emotions by themselves, that they didn't need a Savior. So you see how Athens was being dominated and influenced by such humanistic um, philosophies and ideologies and, and how, you know, these were the ways that we were are supposed to live our life. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have Antioch, the epicenter of Christian influence, and it was trying to get disrupted, and Athens was just trying to maintain this is the way. This is the way. And so there was something at stake. What was at stake from Antioch to Athens? What was at stake was in, Ath- was in Antioch was keeping Jesus at the center. And what was at stake at Athens was trying to make Jesus the center. And so you see in these three chapters, there's tension and there's conflict. You see there's great effort and great earnest work involved with the different groups of people to try to keep Jesus at the center or to, and to 
try to make Jesus at the center. And you, this shows us, we're going to look at three ways this, these three chapters show us how God was at work to promote, to protect, and to persuade that Jesus needs to be the center. Nothing else, no one else, no other thought, no other belief, but Jesus. So there's three thoughts that we're going to walk through today in these next few minutes on how God was working to do that. First, chapter 15, we're going to see how God works through preachers. God works through preachers. Let's look at it. Verse 1, chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas. These were two main ones. Going to see Peter, going to see James, going to see Silas. Timothy's mixed in there, sprinkled in, a few others. Paul and Barnabas, it says, they were at Antioch of Syria, and some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. That was huge. Had to be circumcised in order to prove your salvation. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. I mean, what what language Luke uses here? He says, finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem accompanied by some local believers to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. Verse 3, the church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. They told them, much to everyone's joy, that the Gentiles too were also being converted. This is important because Gentile speaks to us today, speaks to the rest of the world today. And we'll see why that's important in a second. So they were being converted, verse 4. They arrived in Jerusalem. Barnabas and Paul were welcomed by the whole church. I love that. This is Paul, too, not too long ago, was Saul, a Pharisee, the instigator of making Christians become prisoners and put them to death. I mean, people were afraid of Paul. But they were both welcomed including the apostles and the elders. They reported everything God had done through them. But then some of the believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and insisted that the Gentile converts, they must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses. So the apostles and the elders met together to resolve this issue. They all met together. They took time to talk about this. Sounds like maybe a few raised their voices from time to time. You get a little passion. Anybody ever get passionate in some discussion, in some healthy disagreements? <laughs> feel attention, feel the conflict, but you also feel this passion kind of rise up. That's what was going on, but they were, they were going to make this work. They were going to look at this to resolve what was going on. So they met together to resolve the issue. And then verse 7 through 11, Peter stands up and he talks about it. He shares his side. And his input, then verse 12, it says this, Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas said, look, we know what you're telling everybody and what you're teaching everybody, but we need you to know that it's not through circumcision that God saves. It's through Jesus Christ and him alone that he saves. 
No one has to do anything physically to make themselves appear born again. All they must do is let their hearts be opened and confess with their mouths and believe in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and they will be saved. So what you're missing out on, you're looking at, you're making mountains out of molehills, if you will, if we can go southern for a minute, because we we are in the south. He said, if you will just look and see the big picture, God's doing so many miraculous signs and wonders among the Gentiles. Can't you see? Can't you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? You're here in Jerusalem. We're out there. We're seeing it. We're the field reps, if you will. We're we're in the trenches with the people. We're getting down and getting dirty with everybody, and we're praying, and we're saying the name of Jesus, and people are standing up healed. People are coming to the faith. That's what they were telling them. And then James, James steps in. He says, you guys have heard Peter. Now I want to tell you something. So you heard him talk about how God visited the Gentiles and then look down in verse 17. It says, so that the rest of humanity, he said, it was actually prophesied by the prophet Amos a long time ago that this is how God was going to work. That it said, the rest of humanity, the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, All those I have called to be mine. So James says, look, let me just back it up like a Tonka truck for a second. He says, go on back to Amos, the burden bearer prophet. God used him, inspired him to say for some time in the future, God's going to save people, not just from this group, but he's going to save people from every group. That the good news of Jesus is not just reserved for one one group of people, but it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. And so James goes on in verse 19. He says, so my judgment is this. My conclusion is this. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We should stop making it hard for people who want to serve the same Jesus we serve we should stop putting these, these rules and regulations on people and make them dress a certain way, look a certain way, appear a certain way, be a certain way. We just need to let them come to Christ and let Christ work it out in their life. That'd be my interpretation of that. So we should not make it difficult for people who want to turn to the Lord. Boy, that's good. That's then, and that is now. God was working through these preachers to create this opportunity that there was this tension and there was this conflict, but it was so misguided on one side that it was no, salvation was no longer going to come through circumcision. It was not about being circumcised in the physical It was about allowing our hearts to be circumcised by the Holy Spirit. Let the work of God happen and let man stay out of it. Quit making it be about a person and let it be about Jesus who came to save, who came to deliver, who came to pay the ransom. 
And so you see God is working through these different preachers to promote and to protect and to persuade that Jesus is the center of it all. He is the center of it all. And so as a result, when you have healthy and humble and godly and authentic preachers, then good can come. Look at what happens in verse 22. It says, The apostles and elders met with the whole church in Jerusalem. They chose delegates. They sent them back to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas to, to report on this decision. And the men chosen were two of the church leaders, Judas, also called Barsabas, and Silas. And then down in verse 30, so they, they wrote this letter. That was the verse 24, or 23 through 29 was this letter to make it their statement. Then verse 30 says, The messengers went at once to Antioch, they were, they, where they called a general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. And here's what came about. Talking about... Healthy, godly, humble, authentic preachers. It says there was great joy throughout the church. You see, that's what Jesus brings. Jesus can bring us joy. He can bring us joy. It says there was great joy throughout the church as they read this encouraging message. Thank God I don't have to be circumcised to be a part of this thing called Jesus. It was a huge deal. Then it says Judas and Silas, both being prophets. What did the prophets say? So they spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. That's what New Testament prophets do. They, they come to bring encouragement and strength to the faith. Said so they stayed for a while. Man, I love that. You know what? It's been, it's been it, I don't know if I should go there. I'll, I'll stay out of it. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas and Silas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. You, did you see what happens when you, the, the effect of having healthy, godly, humble, authentic preachers in the mix? It, they bring joy to the church. They bring encouragement to the church. They bring strength to the church. They bring assurance to the church. Not all churches have good Godly, humble, healthy, authentic preachers. I've been around some real arrogant pricks before who bear the title pastor, and I can't stand to be around them. I'm not claiming I'm the most humble being in the world because I know I'm not. But there are some I've been around who just feel entitled to, there's a pulpit, they're going to ask me to preach. And they don't take the time to just sit or walk or stay with the sheep. All they want to do is be heard. And there have been churches God has closed, big churches God has closed, 
because of arrogant preachers. And I pray to God I've never become one of those. But you look at Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, Peter, James. Oh, they had confidence. They had passion. But what drove them was conviction. Not man-made. Not flesh conviction. Not personal expectation. Godly conviction. Holy Spirit-driven conviction that they knew the work of the Spirit in one is the way the work of the Spirit could be in another. And if it was going to be left up to man to determine that, then it would come crashing down and hurt more people than help more people. God was working through preachers here to promote and to protect and to persuade, to keep Jesus at the center. And especially in this day and time, that, is, that challenge gets greater and greater and greater because of our modern world of life. But I'm so thankful and I'm honored that God has put together people in this church, leaders in this church, on various levels. We have a variety of levels of leaders in this church. And they do so many different things. And, but there are two people today that I just want to say a quick word about that bear the ordained title of pastor that serve with me and have been for quite some time. I could talk about a lot of people, so, but I'm going to talk about these two. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. And I want to talk about Pastor Prentice for a second in a good way. <clears throat> he bears the, he's been in ministry longer than I've been alive, obviously. He's our associate pastor. He doesn't do a lot of preaching in our church these days. But I'll tell you one thing he does all the time. More hours than even I know. I call him the praying prophet. He sets his alarm on his phone for many different times throughout a 24-hour period that if he forgets or gets busy, it prompts him, pray. And he'll have a thing on there, pray for this, pray for that. I want you to know that our church would not be here today if... Pastor Prentice, the praying prophet, were not part of this. I, I mean that with all my heart. He has prayed me through so many challenges, prayed so much wisdom to be on me, prayed for the patience of God to work within me when he has seen me very heated, very passionate, like some of these guys were in their meeting. prayed for all of us, all of you. He prays for you. I, I'm telling you, in a 40-hour in a work period, he prays 80. If you don't ever think anybody's praying for you, 
Pastor Prentice is praying for you. He and I had some conversation not too long ago, and he was telling me he felt so called and so comfortable to be in this role of just God using him to pray. He always has prayed, but there's been a... He's in a whole new level of praying. That you, myself, your family, your children, your extended family, people that don't even live near you, that live away from you, I'm telling you, his list is so long. He's praying. And we're here today because of him. I just want to salute you, sir. Proper solution to you. And there's one other who who bears the name of an ordained pastor, Lindsay. She's our assistant pastor. She's grew up in this church has seen a lot of the transformations and changes and transitions over a period of time. I call her the power preacher. She can really preach the Word of God. She really can. You know what I love about this about her is that, um, is that she takes it very serious. And she's been willing to put in the work behind the scenes to get better and better and better and to become more inclusive when it comes to understanding the audience, the people God puts in front of her. That if she is a, if it's a planned preaching moment or it's here lately in the last year or two, it's been fill in because last minute things have happened. That she has taken upon herself to grow as a spiritual leader in our church. She took a sabbatical, you might remember that, back in the summer. One, for personal things, but two, because she wanted to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit regarding the church she was serving. I have seen the Lord elevate her and mature her in greater ways over the last two years as she has dedicated herself to want to learn and grow and just become a more humble leader. And, and I can always know I can count on her to not preach on some crazy topic when I give her the pulpit. But she loves our teenagers. I'm thankful she, she loves, loves mine. She has a heart of a shepherd. She loves this church. She could go anywhere. She really could. There, I, I prayed, Lord, don't let her go somewhere big. Don't, don't take her away. I'd have to cheer for and be thankful for her, but man, I don't want to have to do that. But I'm serious. There's some churches who could hire her and they, she could be their preacher all the time. But she's here. And I salute you today. God works through preachers, but also God works through the Holy Spirit. 
And I'm not going to finish my last point. I'll keep it for next week. But let's look at this, chapter 16. This is where I'll stop, okay? Chapter 16, verse 6. Next, Paul and Silas. Now Paul has transitioned and picked up with a man named Silas, a disciple. says, they traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia, and because the... Listen to this. Pick up on this. Because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Holy Spirit stopped them from going to the province of Asia at the time. Then, coming to the borders of Mysia, they headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mysia to the seaport of Troas. And then here's where it gets interesting. That night, Paul had a vision. It's a Holy Spirit dream. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave from Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. They had tried to go one place, the Holy Spirit shut it down. They tried to go to another place, the Holy Spirit shut it down. And as they were sleeping that night, Paul had this vision of Macedonia and a man calling them to come there. And so they concluded, hey... I think God's trying to tell us something. I think we should go there instead of trying to make all these other things happen. Think about that in our life. How many times we've tried to make one thing happen and it just could not ever come together. But we finally just thought, okay, maybe it's not the time. I'll trust the Lord with something different or a different time frame or whatever it is. And you see the work of God, the hand of God work in your life, in your situation to bring something else around that was more appropriate for that time. You and I can never think, man, my plan is more important than God's. Because God always has his plan as number one, and that is Jesus at the center. But his ways are higher than ours. His ways are are perfect than ours, and he knows. And we see here God working through the Holy Spirit to promote and to protect and to persuade Jesus at the center. They go on, and it's interesting, in this, these next few verses, I'm not going to read them, I'll tell you about them, how God, working through the Holy Spirit, through the lives of humans, reached low-class middle class, and upper class. Remember earlier we talked about how anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. They come to this person named Lydia who was high class. She was a specialized merchant in royal purple linen. 
She dealt with high-end money. They talked to her. They engaged her. They had conversation. They shared the gospel. She said yes. Invited them back to her house. Probably a really nice home. Had tea. High class. They end up having to get thrown into jail for delivering somebody. Before they get into jail, they they come across this demon-possessed slave girl, low class. She was a fortune teller and making her people a lot of money. They were using her and abusing her. She was following around and trying to create problems and havoc and confusion. Paul's like, I had enough of this. In Jesus' name, devil, come out of her. And what happens? She gets delivered just like that. No longer making money for her owners. They get mad and create these issues for Paul and Silas. And they go to the authorities and they say, they're trying to teach us a way that we're not supposed to be called to live and all this stuff. And they end up get thrown in jail. As they're in jail, it's the story, Paul and Silas, about midnight. They were in the lower dungeon, shackled, could not get out began to just sing praises to God. We are standing on holy ground. wasn't a song then, but maybe they could sing something like that. Or they could sing something like what we sing, none but Jesus. And it said immediately this massive sound and earthquake came and it just broke the shackles and opened up the doors of the jail. And all these, all these prisoners, they got together and Paul and Silas were leading him to the Lord, talking to them about the good news of Jesus. And, and, the, and the jailer thought, man, everybody's gone. I'm going to be held responsible so he's about to end his life. And Paul stopped him and said, we're all here. We didn't run away from you. We're all here. We're all free from our chains, but we didn't leave the jail. And the jailer's like, who does that? Something's different about you. So he calls them to his house, middle class. And he leads his whole entire family to the Lord. And then the authorities come and send word to the jailer. Hey, let them go. We found out they're Roman citizens, all this stuff. We didn't mean to do that. Yada, yada, yada. They can go. In a moment, because they followed the leading of the Holy Spirit. And they did not try to force their own plans. They yielded to the sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, high class, low class, middle class come to Jesus. You see God working to, pers- to promote, to protect, and to persuade Jesus at the center. So we'll end it this way today. God wants to use you God wants to use your life. Not for your own glory. But for His glory. Yeah, we're going to have to go through certain things sometimes. Things can get kind of thrown out of whack. But if we'll just remember where our sinner is, 
It's not in humanistic approaches. It's not a materialistic gain. It's not always about people noticing us. How many likes we get on Instagram. It's not, it's not always about somebody remembering my, our name. We get our feelings hurt over that sometimes. What I'm getting at is if we can step back. Lindsay preached last week. I'll just echo that. Step back and see the bigger picture. Jesus at the center. All our affections, all our devotions, our perception of life. It'll really become clear that all this time, Jesus has been pursuing me. Jesus has been trying to get my attention. And every time I say yes, Put him at the center and keep him at the center. He has a way of working things out in my life. Let me pray for you if you're able to stand. Just remember, God uses preachers. And I'm glad to say, we have good preachers. And when I say the word preacher, it's not limited to just those who speak. It's those who help shepherd this church. We have many layers of preachers. And I am so glad this church is not built on me. You, you should be glad too. But I hope and pray it's built on Jesus. Because long after I'm not around, there are people who will have to step up and hopefully follow in the pattern that we've laid. Jesus then, Jesus now, and Jesus always. Can we end with that? Let's bow our heads. Lord, wherever we are right now, You want us to be closer to you. So that's what we say today. Jesus then, back whenever it was, whatever life was, Jesus now, however life is right this moment, Jesus always. Jesus be the center. We make you the center. We want to keep you the center. Always be the center. None but Jesus. Amen.